survivors of covert narcissistic abuse feel like they are going crazy. They often tell me that they are losing their mind. They don't know which end is up. They don't know what reality is. They don't know what to do next. And, and they almost seem like frozen in self-doubt and confusion uh, and exhaustion. This is because of cognitive dissonance. This is something I've, I've heard about, you know, many, many, many times, been trying to get a grasp on what it is, you know, years ago when I was trying to kind of learn all about narcissism, but I want to talk about it today. In this episode, I'm going to help you understand what cognitive dissonance is, why it happens, and what to do about it. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I thank you for joining me, and I wish you so much peace on this personal journey of healing. I'm privileged that you would take that journey with me. There is life after narcissism. I can validate that, and I'm so glad to be on this journey with you. Now, what is cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance is when a single individual holds conflicting attitudes or beliefs within themselves. I'm going to say that again. It's when a single individual, a single person holds conflicting attitudes or beliefs inside themselves. And this can refer to two opposing beliefs, like two conflicting beliefs, or it can also be a belief that conflicts with one's behavior. I'll give you an example of that one. You know, they use when you, when you, Google cognitive dissonance, one of the examples that comes up a lot is smoking. If you have the belief that smoking is bad for you, but yet you still continue to smoke, this creates conflict within. Like if you, if you truly hold the belief that it's bad for you, and yet you still choose to do it, whether that's smoking or, or drinking or anything else, if you hold the belief that it's bad and you choose to do it, this is cognitive dissonance. Well, in a relationship with a covert narcissist, you're full of cognitive dissonance and it comes out in those opposing beliefs. And it also comes out in, in beliefs that are conflicting with behavior. And I'm going to talk through some examples of this. I've got four very specific ways that cognitive dissonance plays out in the life of a victim of a covert narcissist. Number one is our belief that our partner or family member is a good person conflicts with, with, with how we feel around them on a daily basis. Our belief that that person is a good person conflicts with how we feel. Let's say, you know, they sweep you off your feet one day with loving attention, only to completely ignore you and treat you with such disrespect the very next day. Or they have one fun evening with you and the kids and you hang on to that one evening convincing yourself that this is reality, only to have a full week of yelling, ignoring, and blaming. Let's say another example, you have a coherent conversation with them one day, even a productive conversation, and you walk away thinking, okay, we can do this. But the next day, that entire conversation is denied, twisted, and manipulated. In other words, gaslighted. So your belief that this person is a good person conflicts with how you feel around them on a daily basis. So this is cognitive dissonance. Number two is how we feel around them conflicts with our behaviors of actually trying to love them. So, so we feel stressed and insecure in their presence, but yet we display love and attention and affection to them. We force ourselves, if you will, to, to love them sometimes with the thought that we can love it out of them. You know, many victims are convinced that they can love it out of them. 
and you're trying so hard to form a peaceful and meaningful relationship with them. So while on the inside you are feeling stressed and insecure in their presence, you display love and affection towards them. You know, we feel beaten down by their words and their attitudes, but yet we continue to display compassion towards them, convinced that we can help them to be a better person. And we reach that point that we don't even want to be around them. If you've been in this relationship very long, you have reached that point. You don't even want to be around them, but yet you say yes to anything they ask because, well, maybe you're afraid of their anger and maybe because you're still hanging on to that hope of making the relationship better. That hope of making the relationship better feeds the cognitive dissonance because you will continue to behave in a way that conflicts with your belief. Your belief is starting to become that they are not treating you right, that they're treating you poorly, that you don't feel good around them. All of these beliefs start conflicting with your behavior when you're holding on to that hope of making the relationship better. Number three, our belief of what a marriage should be conflicts with the survival behaviors that we develop. We know that we should love them. We, we married them. You know, if this, if this is a marriage, now, if it's a family member, say a parent, you'd still, the same thing applies. Your belief of what a relationship within a family should be conflicts with the survival behaviors that you develop. So we believe that we should love them, but we find ourselves avoiding them. You know, we, we make excuses to not be around them or we, you know, get busy so that we don't have to actually talk to them or interact with them. We know deep inside that we don't want to spend time with them, but yet we believe that we're supposed to because it's a marriage or a family relationship. We believe that we should be honest with them. How many of you here today as victims of covert narcissism are still being honest with that person in your life? But we believe that we should be. I mean, after all, it's our spouse or our our significant other. You know, we believe that we're supposed to be honest with them, but yet we guard our words and we refuse to express our true feelings. If you've been in that relationship very long, you have learned that. And and so you're afraid of retribution. You're afraid of anger. you're You're afraid of being told once again that you're wrong or that you're worthless. All of these things that happen And so you learn not to express your feelings, but you still believe that you're supposed to be able to express your feelings with this person. You believe that you should respect them and care for them. But yet when the conversations start with our trusted friends and we start opening up about the negative feelings that we are experiencing, this creates a a huge conflict inside of us. That conflict is the cognitive dissonance. How can I possibly talk this way about him or about her? I can't be expressing these feelings. How can I even think this way? And again, cognitive dissonance, conflicting beliefs with inside, with inside of you. Number four, our belief that life is good and should be enjoyed conflicts with our feelings of despair, hopelessness, and complete exhaustion. We have forgotten what life is supposed to feel like. I remember when I first read that phrase, actually said by Debbie Mirza in her her new book, uh, Worthy of Love. It's an excellent book. If you haven't read it, please go take a look at that. And and coming soon, uh, we're going to have, hopefully, have Debbie here on our show, on the podcast, to talk about her book. So, So get ready. That is coming. But we've forgotten what life is supposed to feel like. We've forgotten how to relax and and 
be, you know, happy around ourselves and around other people. We've just forgotten what it feels like. And we've forgotten how to care for ourselves, what it, you know, what it's like to be spontaneous in life. And all of these things we have forgotten because of cognitive dissonance. Our belief that life should be good and enjoyed conflicted with these feelings of despair and hopelessness because of the relationship that we are in. Now, what are some signs that you are experiencing cognitive dissonance? I hope you have a better understanding now of what it is. Now, how do you know if you're experiencing it? Well, if you're in a relationship with a covert narcissist, I'm going to tell you right now, you are experiencing it. But here are the signs, some of the signs that you're experiencing this. Confusion, anxiety, stress, tension, low self-esteem, low self-worth, paralyzing self-doubt and indecision, regret, sadness, out of touch with reality, unwarranted guilt, and shame, constantly apologizing, defending your abuser's bad behavior, second-guessing everything, exhaustion from trying to keep up with the whirlwind of changes and challenges, doubting your own memory of events and conversations, and feeling like there is ultimately something wrong with you. Any and all of these can happen when you are experiencing cognitive dissonance, because you see, they're not only signs of the cognitive dissonance, they are also the effects of cognitive dissonance. People are averse to inconsistencies within our own mind. You know, we don't like it when our own mind is, is conflicted. We like harmony. And the disharmony that comes when our mind is conflicted, it leads to discomfort. This leads to internal stress, whether we are aware of it or not. You cannot hold inside your own mind the thought that this person loves me along with the thought that they treat me so horribly and that they are abusive. Those cannot exist together. And when they try, when they do, it creates this cognitive dissonance, which is an extreme internal stress then. People generally, you know, we, we feel like we are logical. We're reasonably intelligent. You know, I, I feel like most people think this about themselves, that we're consistent and able to make good decisions. But cognitive dissonance interferes with all of this. It interferes with these beliefs about yourself. You believe that you're a logical and reasonably intelligent person. But when you have cognitive dissonance going on inside of you, this challenges that self-perception. And it can make life incredibly uncomfortable and unpleasant. It's part of the reason why living with a covert narcissist is so incredibly painful. It's because the pain gets inside of you. It goes to your very core. When you are in that relationship, this goes on or can go on for so long that again, you forget how life is supposed to feel. This becomes your normal. You, you're living life with an incredible amount of stress and anxiety. You're, you're just uncomfortable inside your own body every single day. But again, this becomes your normal and it is very easy for victims to not even realize what is going on. This cognitive dissonance causes so much pain and discomfort that people build survival tactics in order to restore balance. We want balance inside of us. We don't want this dissonance, this, this, this harmony. We want harmony inside of us. And so here's some of the things that victims do because of cognitive dissonance. The first one is a big one. We start living in a fog. And I know you've probably heard that phrase of coming out of the fog. What is that fog? That fog is avoiding reality, not accepting what is really going on, 
not accepting the way you're being treated, making excuses, ignoring it, blowing it off, explaining it away, rationalizing it. All of these things keep you now in a fog because you are not accepting what is truly going on. We make all sorts of excuses and we convince ourselves to believe them. That's the problem because, you know, we, we believe this person is a good person. We want to believe it so badly that we make all these excuses for them. But inside, we know they are excuses. We know that this is bad behavior. Our heart knows it, but we quit listening to our heart. We convince ourselves to believe these excuses. We defend them. We defend their actions uh, to others, arguing against anyone who questions what is going on. I remember my family, they were talking to me about how hard he was on our son. And I remember this, he was verbally abusive to our son. And on the inside, I knew it. I knew he was too hard on him. But to my family, I made excuses. I told them about the ways that he was so good to our son. You know, those breadcrumbs that I've mentioned before, those moments where he was like genuinely good to our son. I didn't tell them how rarely it happened. I just told them that it happened. I explained, you know, that, that his dad had been really hard on him. And, but you know, my husband was not as bad as his dad was. So it, it must be okay. I made all the excuses. I was wrong. I was trying desperately to survive that cognitive dissonance. My husband was supposed to love our kids. I had chosen him to be the father of my children. He was supposed to care for them. This included their feelings, but he simply did not. Not only did he not care for them, but he stomped all over their feelings over and over and over. It was incredibly painful to witness knowing that I could not get it stopped. I tried for years, two decades, I tried. I believed that he loved them. I tried hard to believe. I'm not even going to say that. I did believe that he loved them, but I watched him abuse them over and over. I believed that he loved them, but I made daily excuses in my head and out loud to other people for why he treated them this way. The cognitive dissonance pushed me into a fog mentally trying to escape my reality because the pain of watching my children be treated that way by their own father was too much. Along with this fog we live in, we are hiding our beliefs and behaviors from others, afraid to express how we feel to the people we trust. How could I say this? How could I talk this way about my husband or my wife or my mom or my dad? How could I even think it? Saying it out loud makes it more real. And that is terrifying. I remember the first day I called a divorce attorney. Just saying hi to the secretary on the phone all of a sudden made it so much more real. And I was terrified. The same thing happens here. The first time you start really expressing what is going on, all of a sudden makes it more real. Am I really saying that my partner is abusive? Yes, you really are. That is terrifying and I get it. 
We're afraid to even consider our own thoughts. Sometimes afraid to learn more. No, I don't want to know more. We hide from additional knowledge, ignoring the research and advice from others until you finally reach that point that you break through that. That breakthrough then causes everybody to read like madmen, like, like they're just crazy reading, researching, absorbing everything they can find because finally they have, you know, let go of that, that, that image that they've been holding on to so hard of this person. That fog that we are living in is an attempt to protect ourselves from that reality. The fog feels safe. Anything outside of it is scary and overwhelming. Another way that victims handle cognitive dissonance is carrying the blame themselves. This is another biggie. We, we believe that we are the bad person. You know, it's just easier. We simply cannot accept that they are. We chose that person. And so I could not accept that my husband was a bad person. I couldn't do it. I'd rather carry the blame myself. I didn't believe that I was a bad person, but I knew that I, you know, I made mistakes and I could easily carry all the blame. I could do that. You know, I chose this person. I believe in them. I love them. And I believe that they, that he loved me. So I carry the blame because I know I can make improvements. I can get better. And I know that. So it's just easier that way. It's far easier to blame ourselves than it is to blame them. And so many, many victims go through all of this before they finally reach that point that they, they're willing to face what's going on. These are like steps that we go through. We live in a fog for a while. We carry the blame for a while. And finally, we reach a point where we're willing to accept what's going on and step out of all of this. You know, I hear from victims and survivors all the time how they believe that everything was their fault, that they were a horrible person deserving of all of this bad treatment. And when we carry that blame ourselves, it allows us to mentally resolve the conflict that's inside. It allows us to mentally resolve the internal conflict of that cognitive dissonance because we now have somewhere to go with the blame. We have somewhere to aim it. We aren't willing to aim it at our actual abuser, which is where it needs to go. So we aim it at ourselves, which is incredibly damaging. Though it may temporarily resolve some of the internal conflict of the cognitive dissonance, ultimately it leads to far more internal conflict, pain, and confusion. So the question is, how do we heal from cognitive dissonance? How do we stop its pain? How do we resolve this? The very, very first step is the most important one, recognizing it. You have to identify it. You have to realize where your thoughts are conflicted inside of you. You have to realize what beliefs you are desperately clinging to so that you can look at them with open eyes and, and decide whether you're hanging on to beliefs because you want to believe them or whether you're hanging on to them because they're true. Start making a list. Where are your thoughts conflicted regarding this person? What do you believe about them? What do you see? How do you feel? That's a big one. Make sure you put that one in there. What do you believe about them, but what is reality? Answer these questions completely and honestly. It is okay. I know it's hard if you're just coming to this for the first time. But answer these questions from your heart. By acknowledging your own feelings, you are validating them. There's a lot your heart knows. But you got to start listening to it. You need your own validation. You sure aren't going to get it from this abuser in your life. So you need to step up 
and give it to yourself. Journaling is a very effective tool for dealing with cognitive dissonance. The more we are able to verbalize our thoughts, the more we can start making sense of them. And our thoughts, you know, they can be a jumbled mess at times. I know. I mean, I get it. I'm sure you do too. And sometimes a lot of the time, journaling does not have to be pretty. It does not have to be organized and in paragraphs. You don't even need punctuation and capital letters. It can just be a vomit of words, thoughts, and feelings. It can be mixed up and bounced from one thing to another. It's okay. Just start writing. Just get it down. Get it on paper. This will help you to start organizing your thoughts inside of you. If it's easier, you can even speak it into your phone. I did a lot of this. I let my phone dictate it then into Google Docs for me. I know there's other apps too, but journal. Another step is connecting with your reality. Mindfulness. I've talked about this before and we will talk about it some more, but it is vitally important that you reconnect with your reality. Five or 10 minutes of mindfulness exercises every day can make a huge difference. So start Googling mindfulness exercises. I've put a few into some of these podcasts and I will be putting more actually in our, in our Patreon platform. If you haven't checked that out yet, please take a look. It's www.patreon.com forward slash covert narcissism. It's a platform that we are using to get more information into the hands of victims and survivors of covert narcissism. In that platform, I'm actually releasing bi-weekly tidbits of revelations. We started it last week so you can easily catch up. Another thing that you must do to heal from cognitive dissonance is to learn to trust again. You need to learn to trust others and you need to learn to trust yourself. With cognitive dissonance, you doubt everything. Everything about yourself, other people, the world, everything. Start sharing your story with a few trusted individuals. If you don't have any trusted individuals, then join an online support group and share your story there. We have a Facebook group that's called Covert Narcissism Group. Get into Facebook, Google that, or search that in Facebook. Covert Narcissism Group, we've got over 51,000 members. It's a closed group, and which, which means that only members can see what you post and comment. Join in there. You will find a lot of support, but share your story. As you journal and reconnect with your feelings, as you practice mindfulness and reconnect with your present moment, as you open up to trusted individuals, you will begin to trust yourself once more. Your feelings are not wrong and they never were. You just quit listening to them for whatever reason. There's lots of reasons. Once you have kids with them and now you're protecting children, sometimes that means we shut down to our own feelings. You might have very valid reasons for shutting off your feelings. I get it. But since you are here listening to my words today, then you are ready to start listening to yourself and your own heart again. You have forgotten what life is supposed to feel like. You have forgotten how to relax and just simply enjoy the beauty of life. You have forgotten what it feels like to be you. It is time to remind yourself. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need 
and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started.